we're thankful you're here. It's good to see Donnie here today. Donnie's Debbie's cousin. Give her a big hand. We're glad she came all the way from, where'd you come all the way from, Donnie? Oh, Morley, okay. Well, she's a hometown girl. I didn't, I didn't know she still lived in Morley. All right. Okay. Well, we're, that's embarrassing. <laughs> we're glad she's with us today. I appreciate what God is doing. I commented uh, maybe a week or two ago that I wanted to take some time. So I'm going to teach today, but I wanted to be able to take some time and talk about the hour that we're living in and what we're experiencing. And if you will allow me to try and show you in Scripture where we're at. In the book of Thessalonians, Paul writes, and he's dealing with a group of people that have just gotten saved and they're under a persecution. He understood persecution before he had went to Thessalonica. He had been in Philippi, and while in Philippi he was arrested uh, they beat him, they arrest him, and threw him in jail. And God gave them a miraculous, you know, the, about how the jailhouse rock started before Elvis Presley ever came around. And so that jailhouse began to shake, and everybody's doors were open, chains fell off of them, but nobody ran. Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, we don't run. And so one of the first rules about learning to be a Christian is you don't run. You don't run every time somebody hollers boo or every time the devil shows up, you don't run. And then he ended up the, the prisoner, I mean the guard's family got saved. So it was a, a great miracle that God did. He goes to Thessalonica and shares with them and then he, he has to leave there because they want to arrest him there. So they start a trouble concerning him, and he goes to Bera, and from Bera, he sends Timothy back because he's so concerned about the Thessalonica church, and so he writes to them this letter because there was a question that came up about what happens to those that die in Christ, and so he writes them for clarification, and he said, you have to understand that those that die in the Lord he said, we won't prevent them. In other words, those that are alive are not going to prevent those that are dead in Christ from rising and being with them. He tells them there's going to be a great trumpet sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then they that are alive and remain will be caught up to be with them in the air. Then he writes Second Thessalonians, and in Second Thessalonians, now there's a question that has come up concerning the... That they started a rumor, people started a rumor that the Lord had already come. So Paul addresses the rumor and he addresses it this way. He says, now understand, and I'm, I'm giving you a paraphrase. He says, understand that the Lord's not going to come until that man of sin is revealed. In some translations it calls it the man of lawlessness. We understand him as the Antichrist. There are things that we understand in Scripture that have got to take place prior to his return. A good portion of those have already taken place. One of the major prophetic fulfillments that took place was in 1948 when Israel became a nation. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later in the sermon. But now he's saying that this isn't going to happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. And he said, 
let me put it in plain English rather than trying to quote King James. He said, there's someone that's holding him back until that set time, everybody say a set time, that he's going to be revealed. And he said, then he'll, the, the person that's holding him back or will, be, will step out of the way and allow him to come. Now, we have some stuff going on right now that we've never seen in our history. Uh, when all this started happening, I shared in the last service, I told Debbie, I said, you know, there's something about this virus, and this is before it became political. I said, there's something about this virus that's more to it than a virus. And I said, I can't quite get my mind wrapped around this. I said, but there's something more here. And then as it started to unfold, I saw what the something more was. We just went through a season, or if you will, a scenario of it. Do you ever wonder how one man would be able to assume world power? Do you ever think about how is one man going to come in and every world leader be willing to follow him? We just saw a dress rehearsal for it. When this pandemic hit, it hit worldwide. It affected every world economy, and everyone was up in arms and did not know what to do. And I'm telling you, when I was praying about this and I looked at what was happening, I thought, okay, I get it now. I understand how one man can come up and say, I've got a solution for a pandemic. I've got the answer to get the world economy back on track. And we've got the hook in the jaw and people following him without question. I'm not saying that what happened is that. I don't believe it is. What I do believe, it's a dress rehearsal for it. I don't know the when, and I don't know the how. Well, I, I think I, I got a pretty good clue of the how now, I think. But God is getting some things ready. So it made me look at some things that Jesus said before he left because the disciples had some questions. And I want to take you there now. If you would go with me to Matthew 23, verse 37. If you have your Bibles, it'd be good if you're able to follow along in your Bible because at some point we're not going to put the Scripture up on the screen and I'm going to be talking about some other things. Matthew 23 and 37. This is Jesus. He's come into Jerusalem. He's standing outside the temple. And he looks up and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you together as children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Then he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You have to understand how powerful that was. The temple was the focus of the Jewish nation. It was the seat of religion. And he just walked up to it, looked at it, and said, I'm not coming back here again. It shook his disciples. When he said that to them, the disciples responded to them in Matthew 24 and 1. And he said, and, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. In other words, the disciple, Jesus, 
has walked away. The disciples walk out. They're trying to get him to come back and look at the temple. The temple was an architectural wonder. It was, it was, a, it was a masterpiece. It was more than a building. It was a piece of, it was a work of art. And he, they're trying to bring him back there because every Jew centered on the temple. The problem was the focus got off of God. If I can share with you, we, there's been something that's happened in our world where it's, it's robbed our focus. It used to be that God was the center of the Christian life, but now God's just kind of on the peripheral edge of that. He's just something we do on Sundays, and we're no longer centered on him. And I'm telling you, God doesn't know how to be number two. If he's not number one in your life, he's not going to be there at all. He refuses to be number two. So we've got to make up our mind that I'm not just going to church, but I've got, I am the church. It's inside of me. This isn't about a building. This is about a relationship with God. They try to bring him back to it and Jesus stops him. And this is what he says to them. He said, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That rocked their world, man. He just told them that the temple would be completely destroyed. And it was in 70 AD when they went in. The Roman soldiers were in a fury. They tried to, Titus was trying to spare the temple. They ripped it apart, man. They pulled it down till there's not one stone left upon another. There's got to be more to our relationship with God than just going to church. In Matthew 24 and 3, they're sitting at the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to him privately, and now their whole world is rocked. And they go to him, and they ask him a question. So they say, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? From that point on, Jesus is going to begin to lay out some things to them that will have a snowball effect as his return approaches. In other words, let me say it this way. The closer we get to his coming back, the more of this stuff you see. It's like when you start out making a snowman, you start out with a snowball, you start rolling it, and the more you roll it, the bigger it gets. And so that's where we're at right now. In chapter, in verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Everybody say that with me. Don't let anyone deceive you. He said, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now we read that, but a lot of times we don't apply that to the day and the hour that we live. So let me help you apply it. I want to preach to you today for just a little bit about a chosen generation. Say it with me, a chosen generation. He said, take heed that no man deceives you, that there'll be false Christs. How many of you remember a man by the name of Charles Manson? Charles Manson declared that he was the Christ, and he led a bunch of, a group of people on a murder spree that ended with them riding helter-skelter in human blood on someone's wall or refrigerator. Jim Jones, how many of you remember Jim Jones? Jim Jones, raise your hand if you were alive when Jim Jones was around. 
Jim Jones got a, people, a group of people to follow him all the way to Ghana, to, to Ghana, South America. And while he was over there, he got them to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Now, I want you to understand something, that when he started out, he didn't start out that way. I had a friend that knew Jim Jones, had lunch with Jim Jones, and he told me that he remembered when Jim Jones first came into Indiana and how he was, he was fighting for uh, racial equality, and he would go in and he would buy out a movie theater and then bring his congregation in that had all, you know, different races. And I even hate to use the term races, that were different colors. Everybody say different color. We're, do you understand that I'm just, this is, this is just on the side. There's only one race and that's the human race you may have a different we, there's something in us that's called melanin and de depending on how much of that we've got depends on how dark or light I am but you're not different from me we're still the same he God made us in his image I am so tired of race baiting and all this sto stuff going on we are one people one blood came from one parentage. Well, that was, you don't, that was just extra. He, he told, so Jim Jones started out right. Jim Jones went bad when he went and met a man. Well, hold it. By the name of Father Divine, I'll get to him in a minute. How many of you remember David Koresh, <clears throat> Waco, Texas? He, he declared that he was God and, and it ended in an inferno. And people gave their lives because they were deceived. Father Divine is where Jim Jones went bad. He, he went out to meet him in California, and they said when he came back, he was never the same. I had a friend, his name was Johnny James, that met Father Divine. He told me, he said, I used to go into their temple to eat. He said, you know, all of his disciples were crazy. He said, but man, they could make some good ham and beans. He said, I go in there and I get a, a plate of beans to eat. He said, I was in there one day and I told his disciples that, you know, that he, they came in talking about Father Divine. He said, I jumped up and said, Father Divine ain't God. He ain't never been God and he ain't never going to be God. He said, man, they jumped on me, started beating the snot out of me. He said, they had my shirt ripped off me. He said, I finally hollered and said, wait a minute, take me to the Father Divine and I'll prove to you that he's not God. And if I can't prove it, you can go ahead and kill me. So they took him to Father Divine's office. They took him inside, threw him in the floor, and said, Father Divine, this is the infidel that's blasphemed, said that you're not God. He said, Father Divine wheeled around in that big patent leather chair, leaned over the desk, and looked at him and said, so young man, you say I'm not God, and who might you be? Johnny James jumped up and he said, I told you he's not God. If he was God, he'd know who I was. Take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of wars. We've always had wars, but in 1914, it's the first time that we have a world war, World War I. At the end of World War I, they would try to uh, put together something that was called the League of Nations that President Woodrow Wilson would support, but the United States Congress rejected it, and it never happened. Then in 1936, we experienced World War II. At the end of World War II, they put together what was called the United Nations, which is in existence today. Now, virtually any conflict that happens in the world brings all the world's attention together. 
wars and rumors of wars. He tells us that there would be pestilence. We've seen pestilence throughout history. We've seen the bubonic plague. We've seen malaria come through. More recently, we saw the AIDS epidemic hit. AIDS took 22 million lives. Now, these stats are different now because it's been some time since I studied this. So it's only grown since then. 22 million lives. 42 million were infected, 14,000 being infected daily. One of the big secrets when we were doing mission work in Russia was that Russia was just like Africa, but nobody would talk about it. When we went to find an AIDS hospital that had children in there, we had to get permission. Ray was with me when we went there. We had to get permission to go to that hospital, and I'm telling you, it was located on the outskirts of nowhere. There's no way you'd have just stumble on. You, somebody's going to have to take you there. These kids were on lockdown. They didn't even want us interacting with them. We got permission to go in, and then they, they all, I never forget, we, we were out there. I had a group out there cleaning up the yard. We were going to build a playground. And I remember the kids came running out, and we had these children's Bibles, and we started passing them out. And they said, well, what is this about? And one of the ladies said, well, Rick can tell you. And I started telling them the story about Jesus. And right when I got done finished with that story, the nurses inside noticed that they had come outside, and they immediately started yelling for them, come back in, come back in, come back in. And the girl picked that book up, and she said, I got to read this book. She picked that Bible up and said, I got to read this Bible. I'm telling you that we have a window of opportunity that God wants us to work in and if we don't, we're going to miss the opportunity we've been given. We're now involved in an epidemic called the coronavirus. Everybody say the coronavirus. Now, we've been instructed and we've been told, Bill Gates made a statement the other day that said that uh, we're going to continue to see these viruses hit, which I'd love to know how he knew that. I'd also like to know how Dr. Fauci knew before the president came into office. He said, whoever the next president is will face a worldwide pandemic. I don't know how they know that information before it happens, but I can tell you one person it didn't take by surprise, and that was God. God knows exactly what's going on. He's got a plan, and he's, his plan will be fulfilled. Everybody say, he's in control. The information I'm going to give you now about earthquakes, because he talked about earthquakes in diverse places. This is information was taken when I was studying in West Monroe, Louisiana, from a library, the World Almanac. It was published in 2004 or later. This is a history of earthquakes that they gave in that book. Earthquakes that registered six or more on the Richter scale. Not all earthquakes, just those that registered six or more on the Richter scale. Now you're looking and you say the ninth century, there was no Richter scale, no. So what they did was they had to look at damage and make assertions on how big those earthquakes were. So in the ninth century, they record one major quake. In the 11th century, two. In the 13th century, three. In the 18th century, six. 
in the 19th century, nine. Everybody say the snowball's getting a little bigger. Now watch it grow. In 1905 to 1950, 23 major quakes were recorded. That's a span of 45 years. From 1951 to 1985, less than 35 years, 40 are recorded. And from 1987 to 2003, and that's all I had the stats for at the time, more than 1,500 major quakes are recorded. The snowball's headed our way. Now, he goes from talking to them about that and about the things that you need to look for that are going to happen as you see his time approach, and he goes to another sign that he's telling them to look for. In verse 32, he says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Everybody say, summer's nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So what's he speaking of? Well, most scholars agree that the fig tree is Israel. And it says, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When it's young and it puts forth, and it's tender and it puts forth leaves. That happened in 1948 when Israel became a nation. Jesus said, when you see that happen, he said, you need to know that we're close. He said, that generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, most people, scholars believe that if you were born from 1948 onward, that you'll be alive at the return of the Lord. How many of you remember when everybody was saying Jesus was coming back in 88? 1988. 88 reasons he's coming back in 88. The reason that got started was from that scripture. That this generation shall not pass and people viewed a generation as 40 years. So they thought, well, he's got to come back in 88. That's not what that scripture said. It said this generation shall not pass. In other words, if you were born... If, unless you die an untimely death, many scholars believe you'll be alive. I don't know. What I do know is this. I know that he's coming back. And I know that he's coming back not soon. He's coming back quickly. If I call your house and tell you I'll be over pretty soon, you got time to do your laundry, you got time to wash your dishes, you got time to straighten your. But if I'm in your driveway, I showed up quickly. When you look out and you see me out there, and then you, oh my goodness, you, you're trying to run around and, and throw everything together. You know, you're throwing plates under the carpet, or not, not plates, but dirt under the carpet, throwing plates in the cupboard dirty. Do you understand? He's saying, at a time that you think not, the Son of Man comes. I hear all this about people get into studying, and it's fine. And I, I, I appreciate the study of pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. You know what I know for certain? That everybody can't be right. So we got the camp out over here with pre-tribulation over here. Oh, it's going to be mid. We're going to get raptured in the middle of it over here. Well, it's not until after it's over. That everybody can't be right. 
So I, let me give you a word of advice. Quit worrying about whether it's pre, post, or mid, and just ask yourself this question, am I ready? Am I ready? Because if, it, it doesn't matter if you know if you're not ready, you ain't going up. I had a guy I was working with when, back when I was working a secular job, and he came up to me and he said, man, when do you think the world's going to end? I said, I don't know. I said, man, it might end in five years. I said, it might end in 50 years. He looked at me and he said, or, or he said, no, I'm sorry, not when the world's going to end, but when do you think Jesus is coming back? I said, he might come back in five, he might come back in 15. I looked at him, I said, he may come back for you tonight. And he looked at me and I got big. I said, read the obituary column. He comes back for somebody every day. I said, so your question isn't, you're not asking the right question. You shouldn't be asking, when is he coming? You should be asking, are you ready? Because you remember when we used to play hide and seek, how that worked out. Ready or not, here I come. And man, I'm telling you, that young man, when I got done talking to him, he came to me the next week, he'd gotten saved. He gave his heart to God. He got saved. And, and it was, I had another guy show up and he, I, was, I was working. God set it up, man. I ended up that night, I was working overtime so I could be off on Sunday morning. Actually, I was going to end up being off at 4 o'clock Sunday morning so I could go to church. He comes back, my machine broke down. When my machine broke down, he comes back there and he starts talking to me, you know, real kind of lackadaisical about God. Yeah, well, I plan to get, you know, saved one day and all this. I'm telling you, there's been a few times in my life that I've had the, the, or the, the Holy Spirit hit me in a way that there is a boldness that comes over me and, I can, I, and I'm very straightforward. And I looked at him, and he, he was talking like that, and all of a sudden, man, it hit me. And I looked at him, and I said, you better quit playing patty cake with God, and you better make up your mind that you're going to get right with him. And, man, all of a sudden, his eyes got about that big, and he stepped back, and he said, did you see that? Now, we're in the back of this building. He said, did you see that? I said, see what? He said, I just saw an angel at th that door. And I looked at him, I said, I didn't see an angel, but I can tell you I feel the presence of God right now. That, that week... He's trying to get me on the phone. He cannot get a hold of me. He can't find me. He called a pastor someplace and said, man, I got to get baptized. Now, I got to get baptized right now. They went down to a ditch and he got baptized. I'm telling you that your walk with God and your life with God cannot be something that you play with. You better make up your mind here and now that I'm going to serve God. I had another friend tell me, Rick, he said, when the mark of the beast comes, he said, I'll just let them cut my head off. He said, I won't take the mark. I looked at him and I said, David, I said, if you can't live for God when nobody's threatening you, what makes you think you're going to be able to serve him when someone is? Do you know what happened to David? David was messing with drugs. He went into his uh, trailer house one day or one night. Somebody smacked him in the back of the head, drug him into the bedroom, and set that trailer on fire and sent David into eternity. I stood at his casket and I prayed, God, I'm at, I pray that he woke up, that he had time to say, Lord, save me. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Why would you wait? I'm talking about a chosen generation. He speaks about the fig tree, then it's as if though he looks forward in time.
And he's speaking to the disciples, but he's talking about another group of people. It's in verse 45. He asks the question, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Say that with me, to give them meat in due season. I want you to know when I was studying this, I, I, I wrote this over in my mind for some weeks because I could not shake that scripture. I said, God, you're trying to say something to me. You're trying to show me something. Help me to understand it. Verse 46 said, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. But I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. It's made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. So I started breaking it down. I looked at half-made ruler. What's that phrase mean? It means given authority. Everybody say it with me. Given authority. Isn't it amazing how we walk around and mo I, not, not you guys, but other people I've met. Walk around and act like a whip pup. And they're believers. Always fearful. Always wringing their hands. And I'm thinking to myself, what's that about? The Bible said that fear has torment. But perfect love casts out fear. And it dawned on me, these folks don't really believe that God loves them in a perfect way. They're, they're concerned that they're not loved. Can I set the record straight today? You are loved. You are, that, that, don't argue with me. You are loved. You say, you can't prove it. I don't have to prove it. He proved it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you. So don't, don't let the devil take you there because it's really kind of an affront to God. He dies for you and then, well, I'm not sure he loves me. He loves you. But he wants you to step into a place of authority. The word season there, now remember it says, whom hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. So he's given them authority to give them meat in due season. So let's look at the word season. The word season there means a set or a proper time. How many of you have an alarm clock at home? Wave your hand if you've got an alarm clock at home. Is your alarm clock set right now? Have you got it set on a time right now? Wave your hand if you've got it set on a time right now. Okay. When did you set it? Ray? You said it last night. How many of you have an alarm clock at home that you didn't set last night, but it's still set? Hold your hand up. Lance, when did you set it? Thank you. Most people that have an alarm clock set, set it a long time ago. You may pull the stem out 
at night, you may hit the trigger. I've got a cell phone that's got a set time on it, and it's been set for months and months. Well, it's been set from the beginning of this year. When I was working a secular job, I had an alarm clock that was set that had been set for years. He's going to give them meat in due season at a set or proper time. So I leave for your consideration that God has a set time that he's going to release something. God has a set and proper time that something is going to happen. He said he's going to give them meat in due season. Let's look at the word due. Before we look at what it means in this verse, let's take a look at what it doesn't mean. In Galatians 6 and 9, it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The word do there in Greek means pertaining to self, one's own. So what he's saying is this, don't, don't wear down. You got a reward coming for those things that you've done. Everybody say, it's my reward. Everybody say, it's about me. It's about what I did. Can I tell you that what he's speaking of in this verse has got nothing to do with about what you did. It's all about what he did. Let's take a, take a look at the word do in that verse in Matthew where it says to give meat in due season. The word do there in Hebrew means through the idea of accruing. Everybody say accruing. That's a familiar term, right? Where do we hear that term, that word accruing used? We hear it in the bank. And how do they say it? It's accruing interest. The word do there means to accrue. It means to heap up, accumulate, to be under obligation. (laughs) So let me explain to you this way. Everybody say trust fund. So I want you to get this. Okay, when a trust fund is set up, is it, a trust fund can be set up for anybody, right? Or, or by anybody, right? Is, it, does, is the trust fund set up, when you set up a trust fund, do you set it up for yourself? No, you set it up for someone else. Everybody say it with me, someone else. Can they take the money out? Or can they draw out of that fund anytime they want to? No. There is what? A set time. And until that set time, what's happening to that money? Is it just sitting in there? No, it's accruing. It's heaping up. And they have placed themselves under an obligation that when that time comes, they have to release it to you. He said, I'm going to give them meat in due season. Everybody say meat. Now, he ain't talking about pork chops. When he says meat in due season, if you look up the word meat, in the Greek, it means by implication wages. So it's through the idea that comes from a word that means to fatten. It's Come here, babe. It's, It's through the idea of convolution. Everybody say convolution. Do you know what convolution means? See, Debbie standing there on her own isn't very big, is she? 
The idea of convolution means a wrapping around. To fatten by the idea of wrapping around. Stay with me. God is saying that there is a generation that's going to exist, and when that time comes, I'm going to release to them something that I've had set aside for them that has been heaping up and accumulating. And when that generation gets here, I am going to wrap myself around that generation, and I am going to hold them, and I am going to be with them, and they are going to be a ruler in my household. Everybody say, have authority. I hope you get what I'm saying right now. It's time for us to quit walking around with our heads down, always wringing our hands and trying to figure out, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Listen to me. God has made up his mind that there would be a generation that it would exist before his return that he would unload himself on, that he would reveal himself to, that he would wrap around them. Daniel said that the people that know their God in that day shall do exploits. God is trying to find somebody that's willing to stand up and say, here I am, God. Use me. You remember what that song said? I'm just a nobody that's trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. It's time for us to tell it. What's the deal? I don't know, man. Just sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get to, you know, they took me one time. I, I, I had this encounter with God when they took me, and I didn't know what happened to me, man. I just got excited. My, my, my brother-in-law took me. I, I had a Jeep. He put me in the back of my Jeep. I couldn't drive. I was jumping up all over the place. I was hollering, he's alive. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He drove me all over town doing that, man. He, he just, he said, boy, I'm going to take advantage of this. And I'm telling, I, I went by Debbie's house and her brother ran into the back bedroom and hid under the covers. He was in his twenties. Don't you think it's time for us to quit being a mouse in the house? Don't you think it's time that we find our voice and we quit work? Can I tell you, I'm about up to here with politics right now. I am so tired of people thinking that, that the answer is in a political party. I'm telling you the Republicans can't take care of this. The Democrats can't, can't, can't take care of this. It's going to take God. And if you don't get your focus on God, you may be at the ballot box voting for nobody. <laughs> It's time for us to be who he called us to be and begin to take authority. Everybody say authority. I remember times in our life when it seemed like family things would get a little spun out of control. And Debbie and I would gather together and we'd say, okay, now wait a minute. This is as far as this goes. We're taking authority over this right now. I said it last week. I'm going to say it this week. Every once in a while, you've got to get like Popeye, and you've got to say, I've stood so all I can stands, and I can't stands no more, and you've got to quit playing around and messing around, and you've got to get in the Word of God and get the power of God and ask God to let the Holy Spirit 
fill you and saturate you. Draw a line in the sand and say, that's it, devil. You're not crossing the bloodline. In the name of Jesus, I declare my household. I declare my family. I declare my son. I declare my daughter. I declare my grandchildren. I declare my finance. I declare my health. Well, what if it don't happen? I'm going to declare it until he takes me home. I'm going to take authority. Somebody say authority. Can I tell you what happened to me when I was 15 years old? I'm looking at what time it is. I'm 15 years old. I'd open up a bank account. When I opened up that bank account, I put all my money in it. I've been saving money up. I had some money saved up. I put it in there. I think at 15, I think I had like around three grand saved up. Yeah, she wish she knew me then. <laughs> I went into the bank. I was going to withdraw some money because I found a drum set I was going to buy. So I went into the bank. I filled out the slip. Everybody say it's a withdrawal slip. I filled that out. I handed it in at the window, and I said, I'd like to withdraw $350. They looked at the slip, and they looked at me, and they walked away. They came back, and they said, we're sorry, but the slip on this withdrawal doesn't seem to match the signature that was made, or that's on the card we have on file. Oh, when she said that to me, I broke down and started crying and walked out of that lobby. No, I didn't. I looked at her and I said, lady, give me another slip and I'll sign it again. I'm not leaving here without my money. <laughs> I put it in, I'm taking it out. <laughs> Why is it that we let the devil show up when we've made an investment in God and God has made an investment in us and we let the devil show up and say, I'm sorry, but you can't have that. I'm sorry, but it doesn't seem to matter. Just look him in the eye and say, back up, Jack. I am not leaving here without what I came for. I've got my mind made up. We used to sing a song that said, I got my foot on the rock and my mind made up. Though I walk through the lonely valley and though I drink from a bitter cup, when the devil comes a knocking, showing me an easy way, I'll stand right flat on my feet. I'll throw my head in the air. I'll look him right in the eye and say my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. Somebody stand with me today and give God praise. We need a backbone instead of a wishbone. We need to begin to declare the goodness. Well, what if you offend someone? Oh, bless my heart. What? Oh. Let me share something with you. Jesus said, it's better for you to have a millstone cast around your head or your neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea than that you should offend one of these little ones. One of those that have come into the kingdom 
Can I ask you a question? Have you ever noticed that the world's concerned about offending us? No. They don't care if they offend us or not. Why in the world would you keep, why would you hold back the only thing that can change someone's life for fear they may, got, they may get offended if you tell them? If there was a black widow on crawling up somebody's back, would you say, well, I'd like to tell them that, but I don't want them to be offended at me. I'd like to tell them that, you know, you've got, you know, or, or what if there was a rattlesnake in someone's car? I guarantee you when you all get in your car, you're going to be looking. <laughs> would you say, oh, I don't want to offend them. You know, I don't, they, that might be their pet. You would, if, if there was a black widow on somebody's back, you'd probably slap them so hard they'd think they wound up in the next week to kill that spider because you don't want them to be hurt. You'd grab the, my son put a snake on his front porch. He has one of these cameras that you can see through your Doorbell, thank you. And he recorded this. So, De can I borrow you a minute? Debbie and I walk up to the door, and he's watching all this. He's got it recorded. It's a real snake, but it's dead, and I didn't know that. And Debbie's in front of me, and, and all of a sudden I see that snake, and I grabbed her like this, and I threw her back. And I stepped up and, and everybody went after it. They all started laughing and said, whoa. And he said, don't worry about the snake. You better worry about dad. <laughs> I, I didn't ask her, can I move you for a second? I wasn't afraid she was going to get offended at me because I pulled her back too quick or too fast. I saw a snake and I didn't want her to get bit. So I grabbed her and pulled her back and got between it and her. If you really love people, you're not going to let them slip out of this world not knowing about somebody that saved your soul. So this is what I'm asking you today. Are you ready to step into that place of authority are you ready to say, here I am, God, use me? Look, if you're in this place today and you don't know him, you don't need to leave this place without knowing him. Because if you do and something happens, you're separated for eternity from him. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to give you facts so you can make an intelligent decision. Or say, oh, you can't scare people into it. Did you ever just try telling the truth? <laughs> so if you're in here and you don't know him, I want to give you an invitation right now to come up and not leave this place without knowing him. You may be in here and say, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. I always tell people, I said, look, if you, if you hope so or you think so, it ain't so. 
Something as important as your salvation is not given to guesswork. I know I'm saved. I was there when it happened. So if, if you're here and you're not sure, I want you to come right now. I'm going to hold for a moment. I want you to come right now. Come right now. Folks coming. Come on, stand right here. Now, Kevin's been coming for a while, right? So what's he saying? He's saying, I want to make sure. I don't want to leave this to guesswork. I don't, I don't want to, you know, to, and, and so here's the thing. Here's what you've got to understand. Remember, this do isn't about what you've done. It's about what he's done for you. <laughs> Stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. When you leave here, there's not going to be a shadow of doubt in your mind that you're saved. As you raise your hands to heaven, I want you to declare it right now. God, I love you. I love you. Come on, speak it out. I love you. I praise you for what you've done. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I turn my back on my old way of life. I say yes, Jesus. Yes. I want you to know right now, angels are rejoicing in heaven. Angels are. You say, oh, it can't be that easy. If you think it was that easy, look at Calvary's cross. It wasn't easy. He paid the price. And he did it so we could have life and have it more abundant. Okay, now, if everybody else in here is sure, what I want you to do is I want to ask you this question. Are you ready for God to use you? If you are, then I want now, and I want you to hear what I'm going to say. And if you get offended at me, I can't help it. If we don't have a passion to share this gospel, then we need to go back into the altar and stay there until we get one. That's like that Nate is in the medical field. And that would be like somebody coming in, and this is just this is just a small. I'm trying to give you an idea of what you could relate this to. Think about somebody coming in to where he's at, and he deals with hearts all the time. And they come in, and they tell him, "Man, I'm having trouble with my heart." And he said, "Well, I don't care." What do you think they do? They'd be going looking for somebody that did care. We need to care enough to step into the authority God has given us because there is a generation that he has chosen. Everybody say it with me. I choose to be chosen. Say it one more time. I choose to be chosen. If you're ready for that, I want you to come and stand with me right now. If you can't get up here, step out in the aisle. Raise your hands where you're at. Just make some sort of a move toward God and a declaration that you're saying, God, here I am. I, I want you to use me. Raise those hands right now all across this building. All across this building. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, lift those hands up. Now, I want you, here's the deal. I, look, I'll pray for you if you need prayer. But this is what I want you to get today. I want you to get that it's not all about us. It's not about all. Look, man, I, I went, I did church for years with folks that the only thing they were looking for was a shout on Sunday night, and they acted like the devil on Monday morning. I'm telling you that this church 
has got a hunger and a depth that is saying, God, I want to see souls saved. I want you to use me. I want to make up the gap. I want to stand in the hands. God, use me. So stretch those hands to heaven right now. Now you're going to begin to feel the power of God go through you. As you begin to worship him, you're going to sense that his anointing is touching you, that he's, he's, he's moving in your life right now. Everybody say, I feel him coming. Stretch your hands seven with me right now. Father, we come to you right now. We ask you, God, to have your way. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead, you're not done. Now look, we've had a good time in here today. We've heard the word and we've gotten excited. But that means nothing if we don't do something with it. You've heard me say it before and I'm going to say it again. And I mean this from the depths of my heart. Living for God had been about going to a church and sitting on a pew. I'd have never done it. There had to be a reality to God for me. Something that was real and I'm telling you that God showed himself real to me in many undeniable unmistakable ways in that in my early walk with God a lot of people didn't know how to take me they didn't understand me but I wasn't worried about people understanding me I just wanted God to use me. We are sitting at a unique moment in time. I know you say, well, I hear that stuff all the time. Let let me preface it with this. We've never seen in our world history 
what we're seeing right now. Thessalonians said that there is someone that's holding back that man of lawlessness. I believe that's God in the church. That he cannot take rule or control until God says he can. And I'm telling you, when they left Egypt, they didn't leave empty. The Israel, which is a type of the church, had been beat down and knocked down and abused and used and ridiculed. But when it came time to leave, they went out with a high hand. I want this world to know I've been here. <laughs> well, who do you think you are? Oh, I'm just a nobody. <laughs> I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. <laughs> what if they don't want to hear they can do this? <laughs> Honestly, I had a sister, man. That I, I, she said, well, you know, I would serve him, but I've just been, I, you know, I've been hurt so many times. And I, I looked at her and I said, you've been hurt? I said, you ever have spikes driven through your hands? Do you ever have a spear pierced in your side? You say, man, you're not very compassionate, are you, Pastor? I'm telling you, when it comes to somebody's salvation and where they're going to spend eternity, we better get plain spoken about it. We better make it understood. Here's how much I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Come on, stretch your hands to heaven and love him with me right now. I, hey, them, babe, come here a second. Can, will she let Debbie hold her just a second? <laughs> Such a I wonder if you would, I, I just want to pray with you for a second. I appreciate you so much coming here. But you didn't come here for nothing. What you felt inside of you, and it's been like this, I, all I can see is it's like a wave rolling. And it, it just it seems like sometimes it gets bigger and bigger until you feel like it's going to overcome you. And God wants you to know that you are not alone. That he is not only with you but he's heard your cry there's a shift getting ready to happen in your life it's like you almost feel like sometimes you're you're in a fog and go mm, am i telling you the truth today church stretch your hands to heaven with me right now it's a new day that's getting ready to dawn right now if i'm not dead you're not dead Yes, Lord. ahead you're going to begin to feel what I'm going to call a heavenly unction it's going to be like direction coming to you that you've been looking for and God's saying just stay in tune with him and he's going to show you exactly what you 
need to do. Father, I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. I praise you, God. Come on and love him with me today. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. May the Lord smile on you and keep you and make you to know that you're the head and not the tail. God's going before you and he's going to use you in a mighty way. Give him a hand clap of praise for it. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Like the end, oh Lord, you are more.